Good evening, everyone. Welcome to a live edition of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. I am very excited tonight to have a guest. I believe this is the first guest we've had on a live program for the Spirit of Prophecy, but I'm very excited to have Brother Donnie Badinsky on the program. And if you do not are not familiar with Brother Donnie, he has a YouTube channel called Standing for Truth that if you are not subscribed to this channel, uh, you need definitely need to go check it out and subscribe. This channel has just hours and hours of content on it and a bunch of different debates on just about every subject involving the Bible. Um, I've done several on there. I've reposted some of them on my channel. So if you've been, if you watch all my stuff, you've probably uh, seen some of these debates that he hosts, but he does quite a few of them. I really don't know how he does it all and gets all the guests on that he does, but he does a, a fantastic job. And I thought it would be fun to have him on the program because uh, one of the things I attempt to do in this program is to listen to other perspectives. I like to hear what uh, other people have to say about different subjects concerning Bible prophecy, but I don't think anybody probably has more experience in just hearing the other sides and getting other people's perspectives than Brother Donnie hosting all these debates. And so I think he's going to be a very interesting guest. And so, Brother Donnie, thank you for coming on the program. Go ahead and just uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself and tell us too. I'm interested. I, I don't know this on how you got started with your YouTube channel and hosting all these debates. Great question, uh, Pastor Tommy. I appreciate you having me on. It is a privilege and an honor to be here. You're one of my go-to pastors, and I really appreciate your eschatology podcast that you have because you're always putting out content and you're always giving me something to listen to. And so I appreciate that. Uh, I got started probably about four or five years ago, and... A big reason why was because I felt a lot of the debates that were taking place in the world of creation versus evolution, there just simply wasn't enough creationists out there that were engaging the critics, the evolutionists, the atheists. And so I thought, you know, what, I'm going to start a channel just so I can get in there and start engaging the critics and engaging the skeptics. And it kind of just took off from there. It, it was a ripple effect. I started hosting my own debates. I started incorpor uh, incorporating debates on uh, theology, uh, soteriology, eschatology. And so it's been a lot of fun. I've hosted somewhere between 350 and 400 debates on all sorts of topics. And you did a good job uh, showcasing my channel there. So if people go check that out they can find uh, debates and discussions on just about any topic that, that, that interests them, uh, Pastor. Yeah, and you, you, there's uh, quite a few interesting people that you have on, uh, you know, from all different groups, you know, from, uh, from what I would call saved brethren to heretics, you know. And uh, so how have you, I guess, got to know most of these people? Did a lot of these people watch your channel? And then they kind of reached out through that or these people that you knew personally. I mean, how'd you get connected with all these different groups? I would say it's been a, a, a mix. So it's been a mix of me reaching out to people, seeing people through their channels, maybe through Facebook and other uh, social media platforms. 
And I've had people reach out to me as well, because once you host a couple debates on a specific topic, let's say creation versus evolution, then you get all of the evolutionists emailing you and they want to participate in a debate. They want to engage in an event. And so I would say it's probably been about a mix. I'll reach out to people. I spend a lot of time emailing, reaching out to people. And then I also get a good uh, mix of people reaching out to me with their preferred topics. You know, I'll get an email and they'll say, well, I'd like to debate the, the doctrine of salvation, creation, evolution, end times theology. And then from there I can match up yeah, interlocutors. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, one thing too, you know, for people, if they're not familiar, you know, cause, um, you know, you and I, we would definitely be in the same camp, I guess you could say when it comes to doctrine, but at the same time, I've never heard anybody complain about your moderating. Uh, I, you know, I think you do a great job of being fair. And even though I know you have, uh, you know, an opinion on all these things, that's gotta be tough sitting there being the moderator of those debates and not wanting to just jump in when people are <laughs> really doing a, you know, a bad job on the other side. And, you know, is, is it hard to just not want to like insert yourself sometimes? Yes. <laughs> that has been the toughest challenge, I think, over the years. Now, having moderated so many different debates, you know, again, about 350 to 400, I've gotten better at it where I can, uh, it's like a switch. If I'm moderating a debate, I put myself in neutral moderator slash host mode. But if I myself am debating, because I've, I've probably had about a hundred debates myself. And so then I put myself in debate mode, mm -hmm. but e even to this day, it's tough. It's challenging, especially in the world. My main focus is creation versus evolution. And so if I'm moderating creation versus evolution debate, it's really challenging at times to not, as you put it, insert myself mm -hmm. and, and get involved. So I've gotten better over time, but that's probably a challenge that is always going to, to be there, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I mean, in like presidential debates, there's been the situations where, you know, they're debating their opponent and the moderator. And it's just, right. it's, it's never good. But I, I've never heard anybody, I've never heard any complaints uh, anywhere. And I think most of the people too, you know, they know where you stand in all these things. And so, and I know for me personally, even just watching debates, I get super frustrated just because I want to, you know, I, I watched this morning, I watched all of your, uh, the one from last night yes. uh, with, with Scott Clem and Kirby Tab. And, oh, you know, I just, you know, it, I, I, you know, and you know, bless, bless brother Kirby, you know, uh, I, I, I like brother Kirby. I get along with them, but boy, there were some really frustrating moments, uh, in that debate, but, uh, and you, me and him, we've had some back and forth before yeah. and, and that Actually, was had one on my channel with Kirby. Right. Right. Pastor but Kirby, yeah, yeah. Cause we had done a couple on my channel, but you know, it's really hard when you're hosting and debating at the same time it's like you can't right. win in that situation and so i remember he wanted to do another one and i i told him i said well you know what? i said next time let's talk to brother donnie and let's try to do it on his channel because then you know it's more fair then i feel more like i can go after them a little bit more but right. um but yeah Actually, so I, I should add that that was one of the biggest reasons as well mm -hmm. for because originally my channel was hey i'm going to put out some content on 
different topics, mainly creation versus evolution. But I myself want to get in in there and debate in the debate dojo, as I like to call it. But I noticed some of the other channels at the time that were hosting debates, they were, as you put it, sometimes it'd be a two on one, a three on one where the moderator or at times moderators would be uh, jumping in and it, it wasn't as neutral as it should be. It wasn't as unbiased as it should be. And so that was another factor in my decision to start hosting debates on all sorts. I wanted to give people uh, a platform where they know I'm not going to be jumping in and they can kind of just hash it out mm -hmm. on whatever topic it is. And you've done an excellent job. You've been on the channel many times. You've done many discussions and, and debates. And you and I are so closely aligned when it comes to uh, theology that I, I always appreciate having you on because I don't find myself wanting to jump in because you're providing most of the answers that that i would provide anyways mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> and stated. something else i want to mention i i know i have one but i i couldn't find it i might have lent it out um you've written at least one book maybe more than one haven't you on end times you want to tell everybody a little bit about that sure yeah i've uh i got it around me somewhere but uh, i've written several books on creation versus evolution but i've also written one i guess i was on my bucket list one of my passions is eschatology. I find the topic so interesting, as, as you know, uh, we, we feel the same way there. And so it was a goal of mine for a while to, to write a book on end times theology and refute the pre-tribulation rapture. And so I did that in 2022, which took about six months. Uh, the prep, the, the note gathering, watching, you know, tons of sermons and just doing a lot of study that that typically takes the most time but people can find that on the website sanfortruthministries.com end times theology or end times revealed dawn of the antichrist and it gets into uh some of my favorite topics timing of the rapture preterism which which we're both uh familiar with and just a lot of the uh tough passages challenging passages that we all discuss in the world of end times theology yeah well and I, I do i think it's really important that you know you do moderate the debates right because i i think the conversations are very important we need to have these things and i know for myself i try very very hard to be fair to guests that i have on i get people who are on my side mad at me for how good i often treat you know mm -hmm. the guests but it's like i want to have a conversation about whatever you know about eschatology or something and then you know and then we'll argue back and forth and then they're like mad at me that i didn't go after their gospel or something like that it's like well right i'm not trying to have a conversation about the gospel right now i i want to know why people think this way in this area because i want to know how to find what spot where their errors are and then how to correct it that's that's really important to me and so what a lot of people do and i think baptists are probably the worst at this is you know we whenever there's a dispute on anything you know if we struggle to debunk it we just go and find an area where we're better than them at like the gospel or something and then we just write off everything they say and it's like hey yeah we're still writing the gospel they're still wrong but i want to make sure you know, that doesn't mean just because we're right on the gospel doesn't mean we're right on everything with eschatology, right. you know? And so, uh, I think it's important to keep conversations focused. And so I, I try to do that. And so 
this is where I thought this conversation with you could get a little interesting too, because um, one thing that all of us on our side, uh, people like like you and I, we get really frustrated that just not everybody's coming over our our way when it comes to these things. I mean, we feel like we have so thoroughly just debunked all the foolishness and the fallacies of the pre-tribulation doctrine. Yet at the same time, a lot of people still aren't changing their minds. They're still hanging on to these things. And so listening to all the debates that that you do, what would you say you think are still some of the biggest hangups for the pre-tribbers? What are the things that maybe we need to make sure we do a better job of proving from our side debunking on their side it's an excellent question i think the biggest hang up especially in the online world of debates mm -hmm. is a message of com uh, comfort and i give this answer just from experience because i i mean i've lost count how many people are opposed or express their opposition to the post-tribulation pre-wrath rapture model or just an alternative position in general to the pre-trib rapture because they'll they'll say oh it doesn't offer hope it's not a message of hope you know why would god beat his bride you know i've heard over and over again and they wonder why they would have to go through the rise and the rule of the antichrist they worry about experiencing great tribulation and another question they'll they'll frequently ask is why would god allow his church to go through great tribulation. So I find when I hear these uh, answers and uh, concerns, I find that they're not necessarily dealing with the scriptures, but more about personal subjective feelings, mm. right? And to an extent, you know, I can see where they're coming from, but as Bible believing Christians, I think it's necessary that we take God's word as the final authority. You know, what does the Bible actually say about the timing of the rapture? Is it pre-trib? Is it post-trib? Is it pre-wrath? And that's what we need to focus on, not necessarily feelings or looking for a message of, of comfort. But another major hang-up that I've found is it's, it's what they've been taught. Many believers have been taught one thing. And in this case, the pre-tribulation rapture all of their life. And so it's never easy to admit when you're wrong on something. It's mm. never easy to admit that you've been taught incorrectly. Right? Yeah. It's, it's not simple to, to admit you're wrong. And so I, I think th those are the two biggest hangups that, that I've personally seen. Okay. Do you think it's the same thing too, like with, say, say an amillennialist or a preterist or something like that, who's grown up in that, do they struggle as much as the IFB? Because, you know, I only really hang out with the IFB world and in the IFB world, they're so big on tradition. Don't, don't change, stay loyal to the great men. And it is, it's, it's very political. Do, do they have those same things in these other groups? Uh, I think so because as an independent fundamental Baptist, that is typically what is taught is, is pre-mill, pre-trib dispensationalism and other camps, like maybe the reformed camp, there, a lot of them are taught more of a post-millennial or amillennial view. And so a hang up for them is, well, this is what we've been 
taught. This is what our favorite Bible teachers have conveyed to us as being the truth from Scripture. And so in those cases, they would also have to admit that, that they're taught. In, I think it comes down to they have to leave their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And if they're comfortable with a very specific doctrine, whether it's post-millennialism, amillennialism, um, you know, the preacher rapture, I'm a pre-millennial, so I, mm -hmm. I do believe that's correct. So I do. I, I do think in many ways it, it's a very similar hang up. Okay. Yeah. And I guess you've kind of, you, you kind of answered this a little bit, but cause I can, I can understand too, the comfort part. If you've just kind of gone through your Christianity with this mindset of, I won't have to go through the tribulation. You find that comforting. Um, but you know, in, in reality, a lot of people have talked about how that's kind of an American concept because there's so many other parts of the world where they've been going through tribulation, you know, forever, you know? And so, um, you know, it's, it's, seems like it really is mainly Americans that kind of have that, have that mindset. But, you know, do you think that, so I guess what it comes to people on our side, are there areas where you sometimes maybe cringe when you hear our side presenting things? Cause we're not doing a good enough job in presenting our argument. I guess, what are some, you know, there's definitely misunderstanding you know, right. that you hear from the, uh, the, on the other side where they're, they're not getting what we're saying. So what do you think some of those areas are where maybe we need to slow down a little bit and make sure that the other side's getting the point on? I think that's a great question. I think that's also one of the hangups with the amillennial and post-millennial views is they are right mm. <laughs> on, on a lot, right? The preterists mm. are correct on a lot especially when it comes to the nature of dispensationalism, uh, pre-tribulationism, uh, Israel. And so in order for them to come to the, the pre-mill view, they think that they're going to have to adopt the pre-trib rapture dispensationalism. As we know, there's alternative views, mm -hmm. the pre-rap model, non-dispensational. And so I think we have to do a better job. I think we're doing a good job presenting our side for sure. Mm -hmm. But we can always do better. We can always improve on how we explain things and uphold our various theological positions. And I do believe that we've, we've planted a lot of seeds on this issue. But we need to do a better job not strawmanning mm -hmm. the, the opposition. And, and that's what I appreciate about a lot of your sermons is when you're addressing what I would agree is a false doctrine, you accurately present the side, right? Rather than straw manning it in, in terms of uh, giving a false view of what they actually believe and then knocking it down, you accurately represent their position and then show the weaknesses in it. Rather than just portraying a position incorrectly, maybe the way we've been taught, and then knocking what would be a straw man over. I don't think that's convincing to people like preterists or all millennial proponents. And so I guess my answer is simple. Just make sure we're representing the other side uh, accurately. And I think that's a positive uh, uh, aspect of doing debates because mm -hmm. you hear the other side being represented. I hear it all the time, four or five times a week. And so that helps to represent their positions correctly as, as we engage it. And, yeah. and so that, that's at least one thing I think we, our side could do better at. Yes. Yeah. Well, I do think that, 
and again, I'm I'm all, I'm always speaking for the independent fundamental Baptist world. That's what I know. But I mm-hmm. I do think that, and other groups might be just as bad. But I think our crowd is terrible when it comes to building straw men. And I think a big part of it is we are not very familiar with other positions. And so one of the reasons I work really hard to not, you know, knock down straw men is because I've listened to so many people do it with me and it's super frustrating and and it doesn't cause me to respect these people. It causes me to disrespect them when I see them doing that. It causes me to assume they're dishonest and that they must know that they're wrong and in error. And I think if a person is confident in their position, you know, then I think, and I think if they're honest in their position and sincere, they're going to think if other people can see this, they're going to come around on these things. But, um, I I know for myself in the last, even in the last year, or even in the last several months, since I've started this podcast and I've been trying to talk with more people and then some of this too, from listening to some of your debates, um, there were a lot of uh, positions I absolutely was not familiar with, like with preterists. And, right. and sometimes, again, you know, these other positions, they have little areas right that we don't. And if we don't fix those things, they're going to dwell on that, you know, and they're going to they're gonna focus on that obvious flaw that we have to discredit everything we say. And right. so, you know, I guess... Are there any other groups out there that, you know, even though you disagree with them, you can say that you've learned from them and maybe they've helped you fix some of your mistakes? Absolutely. Uh, firstly, one thing you said there really stood out because th- that is what they'll do is a false eschatological position like, you know, I'm not an millennial or a, a post-millennial, mm-hmm. but I do find that they'll pick <laughs> on some of the premillennialists that are dispensational and they'll, they'll take that a single point that they're right on and then they will primarily focus on that point as a way to discredit the entire position and that's one thing i've learned from the preterists is that they are right on a lot of things and like you i i had a good amount of knowledge in the premillennial position but i wasn't thoroughly taught many of the uh, preterist positions. And I think that's the issue is if we are pre-millennial, pre-trib or post-trib, but then we're confronted with these positions, we're going to lack a good response, a sophisticated response. We're not going to have counter arguments because we've not been shown those positions accurately for one and also how to respond to them with good counterpoints and these debates have really helped me to understand the strengths and weaknesses of positions that i don't hold to like preterism amillennialism postmillennialism i've noticed that there's a lot of false dilemmas out there though Mm. like one of these debates which is similar to hey what's healthier pepsi or coke Mm -hmm. maybe both are unhealthy maybe it's just kind of a worthless debate and i'm kind of finding that with your strict preterism and futurism debate you know what's better preterism or futurism Mm -hmm. because in the mindset it's like either or that there seems to be that either or like one has to be true and then the other is false 
when at the end of the day, they're, they're both kind of true, you know, as in many of these things happened. And I think you did a great show recently on dual prophecy fulfillment, where you have a spiritual fulfillment or a spiritual occurrence. And then in the future, you have a physical or more literal fulfillment. Mm. Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning right now spiritually. And in the future, he will rule and reign physically, mm. literally on this earth. And so in many ways, what the preterists say is true. And then a lot of what the futurist says is true. And so it's not this black, white, black and white issue. I think it's, it's a little bit of both. And that is a major uh, reality that, that I've learned, I think, over the last uh, several years hosting these debates. Yeah, I, I definitely have learned a lot from preterists. In fact, I've, I've even learned a lot about Israel from mm -hmm. preterists. Uh, and, uh, but again, yeah, I, I still think they're wrong. But at the same time, one of the things that's fascinating to me is when I listen to people who are... I believe are in error often, you know, I, I, I'm again, I assume people come by their positions honestly. And so when I see the mistakes they're making, when I see how they are twisting the scripture, or they're maybe taking something that isn't really proof, you know what I'm saying? It's like, they're like, okay, I, I see what you're saying, but there's a lot of different ways you could look at that. Often that I find out we're doing the same thing on our side too. And so I know for, for myself, one area that I am not familiar and um, I've been meaning, and, and this is another thing too, I, why I, I admire what you do with all these debates. It is hard to get a hold of people, set up times for all these things. And uh, I just, there's, when it comes to certain positions, I don't know people personally who hold these positions, but for example, amillennialism, right. I, I don't understand where they're coming from, you know? I definitely consider myself premillennial. I believe in a literal coming thousand year reign of Christ. And, uh, but at the same time, I've heard certain things from amillennialists that make sense again about Christ ruling and reigning now uh, that I would agree with. But at the same time too, there's just some things that's like, okay, what do you do with this? And, um, you know, I, so I guess, and this is where you would have, a lot more insight than I would. Um, what are the big hangups of the amillennialists? Because in the premillennial, we, we all go to Re Revelation 20 and we don't know how to do anything but make that literal. Obviously they don't. What, what do you think their big hangup is? That's another good question. I think their biggest hangup is, firstly, what I've heard from my experience is, you know, from the amillennial, well, you don't believe Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning right now. You don't believe he's seated at the right hand of the father, but in many ways we do. And mm -hmm. we, we believe he is ruling and reigning in the hearts of uh, believers right now. And so I think their biggest hangup is with a lot of futurists, especially pre-tribbers and dispensationalists, they don't focus enough attention on the reality of your near and far fulfillments or your spiritual versus physical fulfillments. I mean, when Adam and Eve were told that if they were to eat from the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil, that they would die. Well, they didn't die physically right away. It was a spiritual fulfillment. They died spiritually, mm -hmm. but in the future they, they died physically. And so in a way there is a near and far mm -hmm. fulfillment. And 
a lot of uh, verses that the amillennial proponents will look to have a truth to them. As in, yes, these are true spiritually, but there will also be a, a physical or a more literal fulfillment in the future. And I don't think enough uh, pre-mill proponents, and I'd recommend people watch your video that you did recently on that. They're not focusing enough on that. Right. And, and so if we accurately convey, convey that position, then I think that removes at least one hangup from the all-millennial side, where I think in a way they have a straw man of what we believe. Mm -hmm. You know, does Jesus have all authority and power in heaven and earth? Yes. Is he exercising all that power? I don't think so, because he'll be exercising that fully in, in the millennium when he's ruling and reigning physically on this earth. And so I, I think that's one of the, the, the major hangups is a lot of premillennial proponents. They're so anti-amillennialism that they won't consider any of the amillennial arguments that are actually, as you put it, truthful in many ways. Mm -hmm. It's not just completely erroneous. And that's why I think preterism and futurism, we need to be more balanced. It's right. not just what's healthier, pe Pepsi or Coke. It's, it's somewhere in the middle. As yeah. in both are true in many ways. Yes. And that's why I think they've helped me a lot. And that's why, and again, I don't, I'm not putting myself out there as like this infallible source. You know, I'm still trying to learn and develop and, and because I still believe in a coming tribulation and uh, wrath of God, and I believe in a coming millennial kingdom, you know, physical return of Christ. I, I still believe in all these things. However, there are many things that they say in that world that are spelled out in the Bible that it's like our side just ignores those things. And yeah. so um, what I've been what I've been developing and I'm finding more and more evidence for this all the time is that concept of the immediate spiritual fulfillment and the future physical fulfillment. And so what I've been trying to develop just in my own you know eschatology, is like when it comes to hermeneutics, the word everybody likes to use, you know, I like to show that what I'm doing is consistent with prophecy that has already been physically fulfilled. And, and so I do, I feel like that this, uh, idea of, you know, kind of the way it's, you know, I've been presenting it, it holds up. It's it, so far. It's holding up to scrutiny. I understand it's probably new to a lot of people, and I don't think it, it hasn't been. Uh, maybe not many have tried to really challenge it yet, but um, so far in people I've spoken with, um, I, I've not met. I've not seen any uh, real opposition to it. I, I do think it's true, and so um, you know, men, you know, guys like uh, Pastor Chuck Baldwin. You know, I. When I listen to him preach on a lot of these things, you know, there, there are, there's a, a lot of things that he talks about being fulfilled where I just, I cringe a little bit. Cause I'm like, oh man, that's, I know that's in the future, but then I'll listen to his argument and it's like, you know, I, I, I think he's right. I, I think right. he's right. However, what he's claiming would be a spiritual fulfillment. So let's not deny that. Let's not deny the spiritual, especially if we've got a verse that says it's here, but that does not mean there's not this physical. And I do. I think in the futurist world, we have dwelt only on the physical. And in the preterist world, they're dwelling only on the spiritual. And we, we see both in the Bible. We see. And, uh, and one of the things, too, that um, you guys touched on a little bit 
in the debate last night. I think there's some areas where we need to fine tune some of our terminology a little bit. So, for example, I, um, terms that I think are correct that people often correctly use, but maybe sometimes we use these things interchangeably and I don't think they are really. So I do, I do believe in uh, types in the Bible or foreshadowings. So I think what we would call those, because I think um, when you guys were talking about the abomination of desolation and, you know, and a lot of times we'll use the term dual fulfillment. And I absolutely understand what people mean by that. But I do think, I think probably a more accurate term, because I don't think these things are like fulfilled over and over again. I think like Antiochus Epiphanes was a type of, I think it was a shadow of, you know, and I think too that, um, you know, things like 70 AD, I think those things, I think those were a physical fulfillment of many things on Jerusalem. But I also, because um, I, I believe there's such a thing as Jerusalem as, or uh, Israel eschatology that was fulfilled in 70 AD. But then I think there is, New Testament eschatology, like we see in Revelation, that also um, the things of Israel eschatology foreshadowed New Testament eschatology. And so that's why we see so many similarities there. And so I think this position, it does, it, it holds up to scrutiny well so far. And it is consistent with things that we see in the Old Testament. It doesn't take out the spiritual fulfillment. You know, and it still leaves a physical because I'm sorry where everyone loses me in the preterist world is when they deny a literal resurrection and a literal return of Christ. Right. That's that's too clear in the Ooh. scriptures. You, you, you'd have to rip First Corinthians 15 out of your Bible. <laughs> well, and firstly, you said it better than me. I like the way you put it that you're preterist. They're focusing mainly on the spiritual fulfillment. Mm hmm. And then a lot of your strict futurists, they're focusing on the physical fulfillments. Mm -hmm. When as a matter of fact, both are true at the same time. And your current es eschatological position that you've been conveying through your videos, it takes a balanced approach to both. And I, I try to do the same. And, and I, I do that in my book. But I never would have come to that more balanced approach, Pastor if I didn't host all these debates mm -hmm. because I didn't really, and I don't want to give the preterist side too much credit, right? <laughs> but I never, <laughs> I never would have realized how, I don't want to say strong, but how many good points the preterist mm -hmm. side has if I didn't actually hear their side from their mouths, because the only uh, times I heard about preterism was just from fellow premillennial teachers and they would mostly just scoff at it. Right. Like, oh, these guys, they just believe everything was fulfilled in 70 AD, including Matthew 24, Luke 24, Mark 13. And you kind of just think that's a little bit crazy at first, right? Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to take it seriously. But then you start talking to an informed preterist and you're thinking, okay, wait a minute. There, there seems to be some truth to what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And so one, another positive aspect of hosting so many of these debates is I've actually come to a better understanding of eschatology myself. Mm -hmm. because of it because now i'm seeing the strengths and weaknesses from from the other positions but yes you nailed it mm -hmm. one group focuses primarily on the spiritual another group focuses uh primarily on the physical when as a matter of fact 
both are true at the same time. And I would argue that's a more balanced position. Yeah. And then once you, I'll say this, <laughs> then once you get into, because we'll, we'll oftentimes point out, this is a secondary issue. Mm -hmm. It's not something we should split over. It's, it's non-essential. Mm -hmm. It is a great topic for us as brothers and sisters in the Lord to actually discuss because mm -hmm. it is secondary. We right. don't have to take it to heart and be offended. But what isn't secondary is once you get into things like uh, the resurrection of the dead has passed, there's no future second coming. Okay, those things are a little bit outside what, what we would consider secondary as, as fundamental Bible-believing Christians. Yes. Well, and one thing too, I was thinking about this when I was watching your debate from last night when I was listening to Brother Tab. Uh, and there's been people who have expressed frustration with him because he kind of comes across, you know, they'll be like, he comes across as so arrogant and condescending. But it's like part of that is he's from the Bible Belt and in, in, in like the Tennessee, Carolina areas uh, in the Bible Belt, which I think we need to call the apostasy belt. Um, <laughs> There's so many churches down there and it is so overrun with dispensationalism and bad theology. I mean, the, the theology coming out of the Bible belt is embarrassing. And mm -hmm. in, in the bat and again, in the Baptist world, from my experience, we don't challenge each other on things as long right. as people are towing the main line and saying things like pre-trib and pro-Israel and all that we don't correct anything people say. And as a result of that, people get very confident. I mean, only in the Schofield Bible Belt are you going to get away and with boldness talk about the gospel of the kingdom being different than the gospel of the grace of God and things like that. I mean, that, that that's awful. I mean, that's, that is an awful teaching. And it's like, in, in the Baptist world, we've embarrassed ourselves so bad. And I think it's because nobody challenges each other. And um, something that I've been doing a lot of, I've been trying to figure out, you know, where did this stuff come from? Who brought this? Cause I've always just been taught Baptists are best, you know? And, um, and I, I actually, uh, went looking through these today. I, I, I haven't read them yet, but I have a, uh, I've got a, a sword of the Lord paper here from 1957. And there's an article on here on the front page. Will the church go through the tribulation? I can't wait to see what they were saying in, in 1957. And then, uh, and so, uh, and then there's another one here. It says, uh, this is from 1961 it says further answers to post tribulation teachers. Will the church escape the great tribulation? And so 1961. Yes. So I can't wait to see what they were arguing about then, but it's right. fascinating when you go back to different time eras and see what was going on. Uh, Lord willing, I'm going to be doing a podcast next week that uh, I've not done getting all the videos sorted out. I came across a Jack Van Impe video from nine from 98 that reveals, you know, where so much foolishness came from and it, it was so bad, but yet it was so powerful, which I can see why that video in 98 and I don't, I don't want to give away what it's about. I can see how, why that video captivated so many people during 98, but here we are 26 years later and he was wrong about everything and the narratives completely changed. And, you know, and so uh, again, we do, we've got a problem in the religious world where on 
things that are difficult, we do not challenge each other. And as a result, right. people are getting stuck in mm -hmm. dumb stuff that we shouldn't even be trying to defend. And, and I think that happens a lot. And I think these debates reveal some of that. And it has yeah. for me. Well, they reveal weaknesses mm -hmm. in a lot of even our own positions. Yes. There's been arguments that I've discarded because in debates, I've realized they're not effective. Mm -hmm. We're just parroting talking points. And that's the issue with a lot of these conferences. Nothing wrong with conferences. I, I host a, a yearly conference on defending Genesis, but sometimes they turn into echo chambers mm -hmm. where we're just all patting each other on, on each other's backs. Oh, good job. You know, we're not calling each other out on specific arguments. And I think we are doing a good job. It, uh, people in our camp, pre-wrath, pre-mill camp, on calling each other out and working towards a more balanced and sophisticated understanding of eschatology. But you get these pre-trib dispensational conferences going on and they're not actually challenging each other. Mm -hmm. They're not actually saying, hey, what, what about this pre-wrath argument? What about this, you know? And so their position isn't getting any stronger, mm -hmm. unfortunately. And then if they are confronted with, let's say a preterist, especially a lay person, they're not really going to know how to d deal with some of these arguments. Mm -hmm. But having experienced so many of these debates now, it's given me a greater understanding of end times theology. And just like you said, we're coming to a more balanced view of it mm -hmm. rather than too much of, of a one-sided view. Yeah. Yeah. And people too, they get upset even on our side when we, when I try to challenge people that, Hey, I think we need to do a better job uh, I think we need to strengthen this argument. It's kind of weak. You know, for example, the, you know, the, this generation shall not pass. I think yeah. what most futurists and I'm a futurist teach, I think is, is a very weak argument. And, and so I think we ought to be able to strengthen that. Another argument that I think is, is I think it's weak. This is my position, but I, 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 I've got some theories, but I feel like my defense is weak and I would like to strengthen it. And so I've put this out there to some people, but I believe revelation seven is the rapture. I believe revelation 19 is not, I believe that's a, I believe that's a different event. However, I, I do think that some of the argument we use is not real strong. There are, um, you know, are we sure that Jude when the Lord comes with 10,000 of the saints, are we sure that's not first Thessalonians four when Christ comes with the saints and why is revelation 19 when Christ comes with the saints? Not, you know, I, I think, I think, right. I think we need to strengthen that. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to change my position on that. I, there, cause the thing is too, if you make those the same, it does create some problems, I think, but I still don't believe we have as strong of an argument for that as, as I would like. And so right. I'm not going to beat somebody up if they're different than me on that, because I think our argument's weak, but I, we never admit when our argument is weak in some areas. And I think that's, I think that's a dangerous place to get ourselves into. And I think that's what's happened in the Baptist world and why, you know, people are able to get away with such horrible, I mean, what Jack Van Empey says, the funny thing, the stuff that Jack Van Empey is saying, 
And Baptists won't want to admit it, but they all were influenced by him. They all followed him. They all read his books. I've got some of these sort of Lord articles where he is preaching at conferences with Jack Hiles. You know, he was a he was he was one of them. He influenced all of these guys. But the arguments he was making in there, nobody's making them today. But it's not because they challenged each other. It's because we've challenged them. Right. <laughs> That's why. Because we've challenged them. And so, I mean, Jack Van Impe, he says, and he was as pre-trib as can be, but he says some stuff that most Baptists today would say, that is stupid. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. he, you know, he got away with it because back then, the only people that could challenge him were other TV people. And, you know, but now, now we have the internet. So... Now, so I guess kind of kicks me to the next question. How much of an impact do you think debates have on winning people over? Uh, that's another good question. Uh, to respond to something you said, too, they, they've devolved in their arguments rather than evolved because arguments from 50 years ago have been refuted by people mm. on our side. And so now they're resorting to, like, for example, Second Thessalonians 2, where it says, let no man deceive you by any means for that day, referring to the day of Christ, the rapture, shall not come until xyz right the great mm -hmm. falling away the man of sin be revealed so on and so forth now now they're trying to argue that the falling away is the rapture right you know <laughs> apparently the the falling away is the catching up mm -hmm. and so i think that's just one example of rather than tapping out pastor they are devolving in, in their lines of argumentation and that's something i like about the debates is it helps to avoid holy huddles nothing again nothing wrong with echo chambers or, uh, conferences and things mm -hmm. like that. But debates at least allow us to put our positions on the table with those who disagree with us. And so to, to get into your question, what's the impact? I do believe they, they are having a strong impact on winning specifically those who are on the fence. And what I mean by that is those who are objectively seeking the truth. <laughs> now, you, you, you'll almost never see one of the debaters mm -hmm. one over during the debate, right? Where they concede in the middle of the debate. That'd be a huge news. But the debates, I like to tell people, are primarily for the audience. Those that are on the fence, those that are judging both sides, those are, that are trying to come to a specific position. And I know this from personal experience because I was largely converted to Christianity and especially fundamental Christianity and young earth creationism due to debates and seeing one side, for example, the atheist side, the evolutionist side, lose over and over and over again. When a specific position is losing nine times out of 10, that's usually pretty decent evidence that it's probably a, a false position, mm -hmm. whether it's doctrinal or a science-based position. And so to answer your question, I, I do believe it's, it's having a strong impact but relevant to what, or depending on who, those on the fence. The, the more militant, adamant, aggressive proponents of whatever position it is, maybe not so much, but again, the, the, the audience, those on the fence, those that are watching them objectively, which I did when I was first coming to Christianity, and that, that actually helped me convert. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So... Yeah, I was going to ask if you ever seen anybody like change, just change mid-debate. It's like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I, 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 that would that would require a lot of humility on somebody's part. Oh yeah, to, mm -hmm. to do that. And you know, and you know, I mean, and at the same time too, um, you, you know, making a major change, if it happens just like that, 
then it's probably not real genuine to begin with because right. it was a three year process for me. Yeah. Three, three year from the time I'm like, something's not right to, yeah, I've changed my position on this. It was, it was a three, it was a three year process. So there's a lot of things people have to work through, but, uh, and, and I'll say this too. Um, you know, I would have liked to have seen some of these debates, you know, back during that time when I was going through this process, because there was so much I wasn't familiar with. And, you know, and so when I, when I, in fact, when I first heard about the post-trib position, um, you know, I, I watched after the tribulation and it was one of those deals where I watched it kind of distracted, you know, and I misunderstood a lot of things. Cause you know, a lot, you know, maybe a year or so later I went back and watched it again. I'm like, Oh, okay. Wait a minute. Yeah, no, that's because I, I was thinking more of a mid trip during that time, you know? And, yeah. and so there I, were I still get people telling me, Oh, you believe in a mid trip, right? Right. Right. And so when I'm hearing them say post trip, there was just things not making sense, but that's cause I had, I still had that dispensational terminology in my head so bad. So, um, you know, so I, yeah, these things are processes for people. So, you know, you, people, they need to be patient. And that's why I think too, you know, having the, having conversations like this. And, uh, I mean, you know, some of my best conversations that have strengthened me the most, they didn't come from a debate, uh, that I had like a, like a public debate or anything like that, but it's been in the private conversations where people are challenging yeah. me and we're going back and forth. And honestly, I've, I've yet to have a conversation that did not greatly strengthen my position because almost every time people will bring up new things and it's like that I'm not prepared for, but then when I go, when I go and I study it out, I'm like, oh, wow, this actually, this actually helps my position. You know, even recently uh, I had a situation like that. So I, I do think it's good. I do think though pride can set in and right. you know it, it, so i understand why people shy away from it but what do you say to people who claim debates are sin because mm. uh you know romans one everything in there's bad and debates mentioned what right. do you what do you say to those people that's a really good question i'm glad you asked it because i kind of want to put that one to bed it is a good question mm -hmm. um firstly i i will say well what you said about private conversations those are good because mm -hmm people's guards are down right when you're in the middle of a debate it is kind of like a sport you don't want to come in as the one who looks like they lost the debate that's for sure mm -hmm. and so there is unfortunately there, there could be a, a little pride in the public arena m more competitiveness than if you're having a private talk and so although i haven't seen anybody convert mid-debate I have seen over the last three or four years, many instances of people that had one position three to four years ago and even debated a specific position. And now three to four years later, they have the opposite position because of debates. But th that was a process, you know, like you said, it took them a few years. I've, I've seen a lot of people who were anti-Trinitarian who held to either oneness or modalism or one of these, these false views of the nature of God. They're now Trinitarian because of debates. I've seen a lot of people who are a strict post-trib, right? The raptures after the seals, trumpets, and vials, rather than just after the seals. They are now pre-wrath because of debate. So it's not like it's this major conversion, but it's still, 
changes that, that I'm seeing within uh, our own camp. And I've seen people actually admit that they're wrong in open mic discussions, where it's a little bit more laid back, a little mm. bit uh, informal. And uh, I've, I've seen people admit, okay, it looks like my position's er erroneous. With the formal debate though, it, again, it, it's a little more competitive and, and pride can set in, unfortunately. And so how that relates to your question on what would I say to people who claim debates are a sin based on Romans 1 is, well, firstly, Romans 1 is, is to unbelievers. It's about the, as you know, the downward spiral an unbelieving, unregenerate person can take to where they've now been rejected, given over, given up, given over to a reprobate mind. And so this list described at the end of Romans 1, correct me if I'm wrong, that's where it says being filled with, and then it'll say all unrighteousness, haters of God, full of debate is one of them, implacable. So interpretation-wise, that is referring to a reprobate. Application-wise, yeah, a lot of these uh, single independent sins can, can apply to non-reprobates. And specifically the reprobate, yeah, they're implacable. Nothing can convince them. They're not willing to even hear another side and judge that side objectively. They're full of debate. They're not interesting, interested in engaging people in an honest and open-minded way. The passage even says that they're disobedient to parents, which tells me that they are full of debate in, in, in the entirety of their life, even mm. with their parents, right? So they're certainly not interested in a professional discussion on important matters like we typically do in the panel discussions and uh, debates. And so I would argue that debate is not necessarily uh, sinful, but strife is. Mm. And that's what I see with a lot of these reprobates is rather than healthy and meaningful dialogue or debate it's it's strife it, that they're contentious mm -hmm. when it comes to debating though or apologetics first peter 3 says we are called to de defend the faith and have a defense for the hope that is in us right this is where we get apologetics from we're just defending the faith defending christianity uh second corinthians 10 5 tells us to cast down imaginations or some Bible translations even just translate that as destroy arguments that are against the knowledge of God. We're told to contend for the faith. Paul debated, right? He engaged the Hellenistic Jews mm -hmm. in, I think it's Acts 9. And it says Paul disputed with, with the heathen, with, with the Grecians, I think it was. And so basically, this is Paul essentially debating with them. He's disputing with them. And so my question to somebody who would say debate is just automatically a sinful thing, how can debate be a bad thing? Paul wrote Romans 1. <laughs> He's the one who wrote that list being filled with full of debate, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the chapter people are looking to, to say that debates are automatically sinful and wrong. But Paul himself disputed. Uh, in the book of Acts. Mm. And so why would Paul be condemning that which he is doing as he defends the one true God against the Gentiles? Yeah. And so long, long answer short, <laughs> I guess, mm. debate is not as, it's not sinful as long as it doesn't become contentious, as long as it doesn't cause strife, as long as we're not consumed with debate. We're debating our parents. We're disobedient. Mm we're not really interested in truth. We're just interested in arguing to argue. And so that's where I think it 
it can become some and even if there's somebody who just doesn't want to debate but you're just constantly in their face like let's debate come on you know challenging them over and over again i think that that could be borderline consumed with with debate and i guess pastor i'd be curious as, as to your thoughts on and you gave a good uh, sermon on this actually yeah well yeah i mean it because so for example you know the bible says not a brawler okay not right. not a striker so does that mean a pastor couldn't like get into boxing i mean you know or wrestling or something isn't that a fight isn't that what we call it but there's a big right. difference between a couple of guys agreeing to hey let's come together and for a sport for fun you know, to challenge ourselves, let's have a fight. We'll have a referee. You know, that's not like a guy who's going around just getting in fights with people who don't want to fight. You know what I'm saying? You know, he's going around picking fights. I don't think we ought to go around. There's some people that I know that I love and they love me and they don't want to argue with me about this stuff. And so I'm not, I shouldn't go trying to debate them. I shouldn't be bringing things up all the time and just trying to get into an argument. That's what it means to be being full of debate. But if there's somebody that wants, so the thing is we call you, we, we call the things you do a debate. Like we call a boxing match, a fight. Okay. Mm, it's, yeah. it's not like, you know, it, it, it's a different thing. And so, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of preachers I've heard that like act like debates a sin they actually do a lot of debating themselves, you know, they'll do, but they'll, they'll do it where, you know, somebody makes a YouTube video, they'll respond with the YouTube video and they make responses back and forth. Well, right. how is that not debating? You know, yeah. that's just a, that's just a foolish way to debate where you can keep straw manning the other guy. You can keep representing where you have no accountability. So the thing is, what's the difference in, or some guys debate from pulpits, you know, one guy will preach a sermon against this person and then they'll preach a sermon against that person. Some guys literally have debates from their pulpit, yeah. you know, and, and to me in a much more ungodly way than, you know, and they'll call it, you know, and they'll call it contending for the faith, all that. But again, just, I wish people, if they just weren't interested in that format, were just like, I just don't want to do them, you know, right. and, and yeah. I get that. Okay. Hey, I don't feel like getting punched in the face. So yeah. I'm not into boxing, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I don't want to do it. And it would be wrong for somebody. No, fight me, fight me. I, you know, you, you, now that guy, you know, they're a brawler, they're a striker, you know, I, I don't want to fight. And so if somebody doesn't want to have a debate, I don't think we ought to push them to, you know, I don't think we ought to be like, oh, you know, you're scared, you know, I'm going to tear you up and taunt them. I think that's a bad attitude. But if two people want to get together, like gentlemen, I think we call that a debate. Like we call a boxing match, a fight and brawling. Right. And it's, and I don't, I don't think boxing is a sin. I don't think, you know, competitive sports like that are a sin. Uh, so I, I do, I think there's some value to it. And I think people who turn it into a sin are just trying to explain why they're not out there just destroying everybody in debates. Cause you know, they could. It's right. just like, <laughs> if it wasn't a sin, <laughs> yes, yeah. If it wasn't a sin, I'd just be smoking. I'd be, I'd be smoking James White on the King James issue. <laughs> I'd be smoking. Yeah, uh, you know, it's just mm. no. Just you. You don't want to do it. That's fine. You know, there. It's not for everybody. Yeah. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and there's people out there. You know, I like to, you know, tell myself I'm an alpha male and all that stuff. But there's people out there in the fighting world. They'd beat the snot out of me. You know, doesn't, doesn't mean I'm not a good person, you know, <laughs> and, and there's, there's people out there too, in a debate 
I mean, I, I do not consider myself a professional debater, but at the same time, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm confident enough in my position and I think I present it in a way and I try to present my position in a way where I'm not locking I, I like myself into something. Hold, yeah. I do like the way you hold your opponent's feet to the fire though. Mm. Cause I find too many people come into debate to just make friends yeah. and then they're too soft. See, it can turn into it can turn sinful again if it's full of strife, if we're too contentious. We should debate in a professional and cordial manner, in a rational way, but that doesn't mean we have to be big softies, right? Mm -hmm. We can still be aggressive, we can be adamant in our position and yet still remain cordial and professional at the same time. And I think you nailed it. I didn't even think of this. But a lot of people who would say debate is sinful, they debate from the pulpit. And typically because the person they're debating against is not present, then it's actually more aggressive than it would be if they were mm. just having a discussion. Oh, yeah. So it could actually be more sinful, I guess, quote unquote, if it's from the pulpit or just response videos. Response videos can be more time consuming anyways mm. than just agreeing to a two hour session where you have a discussion. That's why I'm thankful for people who I would even disagree with. Like right now we have many great pastors like yourself, uh, Pastor Matt first, Scott Clem, and then those on the other side, like uh, Kirby Tab, you know, Brother Kirby, and uh, just a lot of people that are willing to have these discussions. And they always end up being edifying in my opinion. And they're always done in a professional manner. Sure, they might get heated here and there, but that's why we uh, shake hands at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. so, and I think you, you nailed it too, because a boxer, a professional boxer, whoever he's boxing, they've agreed to box, mm -hmm. but they're not going door to door, challenging people who don't want to box to box. Right. So there's a difference there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you've, you've provided the, the ring, you're calling it the, what Ooh. the debate octagon last night. Yeah. And, you know, and there's people stepping up and saying, Hey, I'd like to get in that octagon. And, you know, I want to, I want to fight this battle, you know, and I do, I think it's edifying and, you know, even, even brother Kirby, you know, uh, boy is as frustrated as I get with his position. Sometime if he was in town, I'd take him out to lunch and, uh, you know, and I do, I, I, my thing is, and this is, this is the people who debate from pulpits, the people who debate from YouTube videos, typically, um, they do things in a way where they would never be able to sit down in person with that person because they're always so hostile. Where, yeah. you know, I refuse to live in a world where there's people I'm scared to come face to face with. You know, I refuse to live in a world where there's a meeting that I can't go to because, oh man, I've just burnt bridges with these people and I, I cream this dude and, and, you know, and again, I've, I've handled things in bad ways before, but as long as you are not above apologizing when you need to apologize, and I've had to do that before, um, you know, it, it's okay to do that. And so typically, um, de you know, with, when it comes to debates to debates, like on your thing, it is, it can be difficult because it is very, very hard to keep pride off the table which is the right. nice thing about personal private conversations, mm -hmm. but it, it can be done. I, I really do believe it can be done. And, uh, and typically the people who debate from YouTube videos, from pulpits, pride is just oozing from their pores and they'll never ever 
be able to have a sit down with anybody. They can't look people in the eye. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, why can't we look people in the eye? Right. You know, does, does it bother yeah. you that, you know, you're so scared to just even, even look somebody eye or have a, and even have a private conversation. So yeah, I, I, I do. I think they're healthy, but I think people, they just see that word debate in Romans one and think always a sin. And it's like, well then right. brawling, striking, you know, don't, mm-hmm. you know, then all those, you know, sports with referees, they're all sinful. So let, let's be consistent. And so uh, I, I've literally watched preachers box each other, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and they, they wore gloves and they That's had rules. And, the matter. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, and, and they did it for fun. These were pastors who are not yeah. to be a brawler. You're not to be a striker. You're doing both. You're disqualified. Right. No, they're yeah. not. They, they were having fun. And after they got done punching each other in the face, you know what? They were still friends. <laughs> so, right. so yeah, it, but again, if, if you're somebody too, and maybe, you know, maybe that pastor that's out there who won't debate, maybe he just knows, Hey, if I like some people, they couldn't get in a fight like that because they're going to, their temper would get the better of them. And right. I think that's wisdom to then not get involved in that, you know? Yeah. And it's the same thing too you know, their pride might get the better of them. And so for them to just say, I don't want to do it. I think that's just wisdom, but right. don't They're tell, don't tell everyone that they can't do it. Cause not everyone's yeah. like you. And just because you don't like it doesn't mean now you have to, all oh, it's sinful. Nobody should do it. And it's kind of a shame because see, I, I felt there was a gap going into 2022. I hosted a lot of debates, creation, evolution, nature of God, salvation, not as many as I would want to on Israel and dispensationalism. So one of my goals going into 2022 pastor was I want to fill that gap because I am so interested and fascinated in many ways in the topic of Israel, in the topic of dispensationalism and just eschatology in general. But I found there wasn't enough discussions going on Mm -hmm. where I wanted to see both sides. See the, the issue, if you just do strict video responses, you don't really see how in real time the people are engaging each other, how they're mm-hmm. answering questions, how they're bouncing ideas off. of You don't really get to see that. So it still is kind of a, a, an avenue to straw man and in a way, an echo chamber. And so in 2022 is when I really started implementing these dispensationalism debates. You did several. Uh, we did a lot of Israel debates, a lot of rapture debates. And I feel like that really helped to fill that void, to fill that gap. And I kept thinking, I got saved about eight years ago. And then I got into end time theology, maybe about five years ago, where I started being really interested in it. I almost wished I had those debates back when I was looking into these issues and figuring out, okay, what, you know, what is true and, and what is not. So I feel like those that are new to this topic, maybe they now have that opportunity to watch these debates, watch these discussions, and that might help them decide what is true and what is not. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, it's, I think it's one of the things I like about watching them too, is I'm always, you know, imagining if I was there. And so sometimes too, you know, I hear people, um, you know, that I would say are on my side, make arguments. I would you know, never would have thought of, I get more ammo that way. Sometimes I'm like, Whoa, I don't know how to answer that one, you know? Yeah. And that makes, that challenges me to go, 
right, I, I need to go look this up. And so I, I, I do, I think we all need to be challenged. I, I for, for sure. And, um, again, we, in the Baptist world, there just isn't much accountability. You know, we don't hold each other accountable. If people are in our circles, we're not going to call out anything dumb that they say, you know, we'll call out all the people outside our circles. And, and so I, I think we need something to challenge us. Cause there's just a lot of dumb stuff that's mm -hmm. preached in the Baptist world. I mean, look at how much dumb stuff is said in the name of King James onlyism. And mm -hmm. I'm a King James only guy all the way, but there's a lot of dumb stuff. People are saying, you know, in when it comes to free grace, you know, I'm a free grace guy, but boy, some of the people in the free grace world embarrass me greatly and, <laughs> and make bad and, and interpret the Bible in a horrible way. And it's like, Hey, free grace is still true, but good night. Can you stop butchering the Holy scriptures? Yeah, <laughs> it's making our position look bad. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, how come the other free graces aren't calling you out and saying, Hey, I'm glad you're saved, but you're also stupid. I'm glad God can save stupid people. You know, how about you? How about you fix this in right. your theology? So, well, I, uh, I want to kind of get onto some of these other things, but, um, sure. so when it comes to the subject of Israel, because mm. that, you know, that's a big one too. Uh, where are we losing people on the subject of Israel? What, what are the big hangups on that issue? That's a good question. And I look to you as the expert on that one. So <laughs> I guess <laughs> what comes to my mind is from personal experience, like, especially, in, I should say this, I wanted to say this earlier. I find there's different hangups online versus in person, because in person, I feel like people don't really want to discuss these things. They're comfort, they're comfortable with their dispensationalism. They're comfortable with their pre-trib rapture uh, doctrine, and they don't really want to be challenged. Now, online or in the debate world, the debate octagon, thankfully, we do have people of that persuasion that are interested in having discussions. And I very rarely come across two debaters who did not enjoy their experience together. And that kind of goes to what you were saying earlier, is... Is debate sinful? I mean, both interlocutors, you, let's say you and, and whoever, another pastor, you guys enjoyed your two to three hour discussion, you know, is that a fine? And so just, but not enough people, I think in person want to discuss these issues and Israel's one of them. And I think a lot of it comes down to this perception that if we are not blessing or supporting Israel, we are going to be cursed in our personal lives by God, as in it's almost our spiritual duty to support Israel or else we're not going to be blessed. It's sinful. We're walking in the flesh. And so I think that's a big hang up is many people are taught that to support Israel is the right thing to do. And so for a non-dispensationalist to come up and say that the true Israel, the Israel of God is a spiritual nation and the promises to abraham and his seed are not to ethnic descendants as in people and as in plural but to one with which is jesus christ right the person of jesus mm -hmm. christ is abraham's seed and if we're in christ then we're counted for the seed and so i, I think that's one of the major hang-ups is and i guess you can understand from that mindset if they were taught all their lives that essentially they have to 
support an ethnic people. They have to, I mean, we, we want all people to be saved. We want the Jews to be saved, but we don't have this cognitive dissonance because the Bible says to the unbeliever that the wrath of God abideth on them. So they're the chosen people, but they, but the wrath of God abides on them. God's going to send them to hell. Does God send his people to hell? It doesn't make much sense to me. So I'm not sure what your thoughts are on it, but I, a lot of people, they've just been forced to believe over many, many years that they have to support national Israel or else they're not going to be, they're not going to be. And then that goes to the passage in, in Genesis, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, I think, I yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually working on a book right now. Uh, I haven't got real far in it. I've never written a book before, so I don't know. I might not ever get it done, um, <laughs> but uh, I I want to, and I'm uh, more than likely what I'm going to title it. It's going to be called "They Are Not Israel," and yeah, and because I think the biggest thing people aren't getting a hold of, they don't understand what Israel was. They don't understand what Israel is. And they don't understand that what this nation of Israel in the Middle East, this UN creation, it does not fit any of the criteria biblically to be Israel. It literally doesn't. And most people, they don't even question it. It's just, it's just, the, it, it's the same Israel as they're reading about in their Bibles. And so, right. um, you know, I, I'm actually this Sunday, I'm going to be preaching on the subject of the church, uh, on the doctrine of the church. I've been just kind of going through teaching doctrines and um, the way I'm going to present this subject, because there's true things people say on all sides, as far as like when they talk about the church versus universal church or visible church, all that stuff. But I think the key thing people got to understand is in order to understand the doctrine of the church, you have to understand what the church was and uh, that's that church in the wilderness. It was something right. you need to understand what the church is, what it is today. It was reformed people. When they want to prove the church in Israel are not the same, they show all the differences, but it's like, well, no, wait, that's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Right. You know, Jesus reformed these things. So yes, what, the church is today is different because Jesus changed a bunch of stuff. But then what a lot of people do too, that preach like a universal church thing, what they don't understand oh, is there's also what the church will be. And so the, um, a lot of times things people are referring to are in reference to when we all are literally assembled together with Christ, you know, in the future. And so, um, you know, that you know so that that's the key to understanding all these things and so even just understanding the church what it, it was what it is and what it will be it'll help you understand some things about israel too which isn't going to be the focus of my message but um you know i'll, do, I'll say this pastor mm -hmm. i did although i wasn't a disp dispensationalist some of these verses and i remember i had you on maybe a year or a year and a half ago where we discussed dispensationalism for a couple hours and i was really blessed by your teaching which you just iterated now that the new testament church is basically just a continuation of the old testament congregation that church in the wilderness mm -hmm. but the new testament church has been reformed right we no longer mm -hmm. have animal sacrifices jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world we have we no longer have that levitical system the old covenant the levitical priesthood and so that made 
a lot more sense. And it worked to explain a lot of the verses that some of your dispensationalists would use to say that there's this hard distinction between Israel and the church, even though the New Testament church is simply a reformed version of the Old Testament mm. congregations. Is that right, Pastor? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you want to know who helped me out a, a lot with that? And I'll just, admit, I'll just admit it right here. Um, it was actually hardcore Zionist preachers. In fact, ah. uh, Church Phone mentioned Chronology of the House of God by Brian Sharp, uh, which I haven't read all of that one yet. Uh, I, I, I started it, but um, I, I had him on my program. I mean, me and him disagree on a lot of stuff. But at the same time, too, um, me and him can have a civil conversation uh, we've had some phone conversations. He invited me to a meeting he was at recently, but yeah, he, uh, the continuation of the church in the wilderness by Andy Edwards, um, Tim, these guys would be mad. I'm name, I'm probably mentioning their names on this program, but these guys have some great ammo when it comes to, you know, our connection with Israel and they have some great teaching against dispensationalism. They probably have some of the best teaching proving one gospel. And, and so yeah. just because they're pre-trib and hardcore Zionists doesn't mean they don't have something they can teach me. I've learned things from them and, and even thing, or I should say too, I have learned some things from them, but I will say that they've, they've definitely fine tuned a lot of things or they've helped me present it in a bed in a better way, in a more biblically worded way. And so again, I, I've learned, I've learned things I, from, hardcore pre-trib Zionists from preterists, you know, and, and it comes from just being willing to have a conversation with people. Most people do not talk with other people on these things, you know, and I think there's a lot of value, uh, you know, in doing that. And again, the, the private conversations are some of the most enlightening. In fact, um, I had a conversation, I've had some conversations with Brian Sharp and Tim Lushan on things completely unrelated to eschatology in Israel, where those guys, they do some of the best, they, they do the best at articulating certain truths that we believe as Baptists, I, I think that is as good as anyone else. And again, I, I want to cry when I hear him preach about the rapture in Israel. But on other areas, I'm just like, wow, you know, I, I, in fact, uh, I, I've encouraged them on one particular subject. I was like, you know, you guys need to have a conference on this. I said, and I will go because they have a lot of good information on certain things. And, uh, and, and boy, I've got one guy on my channel. He hates that. I like those guys and say good things about them. And I had them on the program. But it's just like, you know, this guy, you know, I, I learn from him. You know, mm -hmm. I, I want to learn. I don't know everything. <laughs> so yeah. I, I'm, I'm thankful for people that can help me in whatever area. And I, I can yeah. and I, I know when they go off and I just I ignore it's that. Discernment. I, I like to say chew the meat, spit out the bones. Yeah. And because there's no one person that we're going to agree with on everything 100 percent. And so am I only going to listen to people that I agree with even 99%? That's one thing I've learned about these debates 
is if I host a debate, especially on a topic that I wouldn't consider my expertise, Pastor, I find myself learning quite a bit, almost like I'm listening to some lecture or sermon. Because mm. if it's a debate that's three hours long, three and a half hours long, I'm listening to both sides. And I'm realizing, I guess this goes back to the debate last night on Matthew 24 between pastors Scott Clem and uh, Kirby Tab, who both did a great job. It was a great debate. I found myself agreeing with certain things on both sides and disagreeing with certain things on both sides as well. So I'm sitting here as an objective viewer, uh, learning a bit, learning a lot, I should say, from uh, both interlocutors. And so I think debates are a great way to, as you said, you can even learn from somebody who, who you may disagree with, if he's a pre-tribber or even a preterist. I've learned a lot from preterists. You know, I've strengthened my own understanding because of uh, preterist. So we shouldn't shy away from listening or even talking to somebody simply because we don't meet eye to eye on everything. That's what I really appreciate about your podcast too, is you've had people on all sorts of views and you sit there and you let, you let them present their, their view. And I'm assuming you're learning a lot because, mm -hmm. you know, we don't know everything about everything when it comes to these views. And so, yeah, I wondered, do you find it challenging? Pastor, if mm -hmm. someone's presenting a view on your podcast and there's certain things you disagree with, but in that moment you think, well, I probably shouldn't challenge them on it, right? It's yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and I guess it, it's not the, the hardest thing for me, though, I'll, I'll admit, it's just that I know I'm going to take grief for this because I literally want to listen to what they have to say. I'm, I'm not having them on to argue. I want to hear what they have to say about this subject. They, they've got something that they can contribute that I want to know, but you know, and so I don't want to get bogged down arguing with them over things that I know are going to trigger my audience. And so sometimes it's hard for me to not say something along those lines. You know, when I had Brian Sharp on, he had a star of David right behind him and, you know, and I said something on there about it, but I was like, I got to do this for my audience. Cause they're, they're going to, I mean, he lost a lot of them immediately. <laughs> You know, when they, yeah. when they saw, one <laughs> yeah, when they saw, started, <laughs> that's all you see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but no, but no, I, I genuinely want to learn. So for, um, uh, Lord willing, um, I'm going to be, I'm doing an interview on Wednesday. So I'm hoping I'm going to have it up on Thursday. Uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be talking to a Palestinian, um, uh, man who, I don't really know what his religious background is. I saw him on the news and he was talking about the Christians, how they, and their support for Israel. And he started talking about how, you know, how they interpret the Bible and how it's wrong. And he was like, you know, they take Genesis 12, it's talking about Abraham's seed and they apply it to the Jews. But he's like, that's talking about Jesus Christ. He started talking about how these people have been greatly influenced by the Left Behind series, the late great planet Earth. I mean, this guy was saying everything I say in my program. And I'm just like, dude, I, I don't know what his background is. You know, I, I've tried, you know, I don't know what his theology is, but I'm going to have him on the program because I want to know what it's like for, you know, in Palestine, I want to hear things from a Palestinian perspective. You know, I want to know yeah. about the Christians in Palestine. I want to know about this Baptist hospital. And, um, in fact, he's actually a part of a Bible college in, in Bethlehem. 
And I looked wow. the college up and I, I looked at their doctrinal statement. And while it wasn't super specific, as specific as we would like it on certain things, it was all good. You know, everything on it was right. And I'm like, you know, so I, I want to hear what he has to say. Now, that guy might believe a false gospel, you know, and he might say something about repenting of sins and people are going to lose their minds, you know. But it's like, I, I, I want to know about Palestine. And so, you know, whenever if he says something I just completely disagree with, I'm not going to argue with him. I'm going to you know, you know, stick with the subject at hand because I want to learn. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't, I, there's things I want to understand about that situation. And we, we don't in the Baptist world, we have no desire to learn anything. We only want to uh, defend our political allies. And, you know, we do want to create this echo chamber and there's some really bad errors. You know, let's, yeah. let's fix these things. So, Amen. but, uh, final question I want to ask you. So, or I, um, well, let me ask you this real quick. What are your personal favorite subjects to debates to moderate? Good question. Um, you know, I, I've grown to love every subject in the sense that this goes back to what you were saying, because you're having guests on your podcast and this is helping to make your podcast successful because your podcast has grown. You've had a lot of great guests on is because guests can see previous shows mm -hmm. and they can see that you truly mean it when you want to listen to their positions, you want to learn about their positions. Mm -hmm. But if you turned every single podcast into some heated debate, you know, you, you, you might lose the opportunity to get mm -hmm. certain guests on. And so with debates, especially if it's a topic I'm not 100% familiar with, I can see as a host, I can hear what they believe. I can hear them lay out their position without me having to debate them. Right? I'm just a mm -hmm. host, I'm just a moderator, so I'm learning. And so I've, I've grown to like every topic for the most part, but my favorite topics would for sure be what I consider my specialty, what I focus the most on is uh, creation evolution. Those are, you know, I'm passionate about that. <clears throat> so the origins debate, but then uh, a close second, is probably soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. Those are always fun, and and they tend to be pretty entertaining. And then eschatology. I mean, I just love the es anytime mm -hmm. it's an eschatology debate, regardless of the subtopic. I just look forward to. I just I have such a great time with those. And three to four hours can really fly by in an end times theology debate. That's for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So in, in your in your mind. I guess, you know, in, in your world is more of the online world. Do, do you think we're gaining any ground in the fight against dispensationalists and pre-tribbers or are we losing ground? Good question. I do believe we are gaining ground on the topic. I've seen many people convert and countless seeds planted. Again, a lot of it does happen behind the scenes. I had one guy, we had an open mic with Kent Hoven going back a couple of years ago on end times theology, challenging all the pre-tribbers to come in, right? And so it was fun. It was about three hours maybe, but near the end, I was going at it with a pre-tribber, an aggressive pre-tribber who said over and over again, he said, I am as sure of the pre-trib rapture 
as I am of the deity of Christ. He said he's either deity of Christ or salvation by faith or something like that that is essential, right? That we know is true. And and we got we we went at it for a while in this show just debating, disputing. <laughs> and maybe I got a little bit aggressive, but it seemed to to work because I would say about 2 or 3 months later he converted to the pre-wrath position, the post-trib mm. pre-wrath position. This is somebody who said that he's as sure of the preacher of rapture mm. as he is of, you know, so, some essential essential doctrine. And so I, I've seen the seeds planted. I've seen people uh, convert. I've seen more people convert on eschatology, I think, than I have on the creation versus evolution topic with a lot of your militant atheists and evolutionists. And a lot of it does happen behind the scenes, right? Email, Facebook mm -hmm. Messenger. Hey, I watched uh, your show here or read your book, and it opened up my mind. So, yeah, I, I would say we're, we're uh, gaining ground rather than losing. And I would say that we are – see, here's the last thing I'll say on this. These debates are effective because let's say you host 20 debates on the pre-trib rapture. If the pre-trib rapture loses 19 out of 20 of those debates – it's a pretty good indicator, and I said this earlier, it's a pretty good indicator to most objective thinking and viewing people that the pre-trib rapture is probably false. Mm -hmm. And in a way that that would be us gaining ground, I think. Yeah. Well, and when you think about it too, the pre-trib doctrine has the much bigger platform. It's what everybody's talking about. It's what's being taught most oh, yeah. places. So the thing is, everybody's familiar with the pre-trib teaching. Not many are familiar with the pre-wrath teaching. So anything we can do to expose people to the pre-wrath position, I think is helpful and beneficial. And I think great evidence too of, and, and as somebody who is from the independent fundamental Baptist world, I will say that things have changed a lot in the last 10 years where obviously there's not as many people who are preaching it as I would like, even though there's a lot, okay, a, a lot more but people are becoming less hostile to it. And I'll say this too, um, you know, I'm going to be displaying sometime next week, the foolishness of what Jack Van Impey was teaching that wouldn't even be taught in most Baptist churches today. And they were all teaching it back in the day. But um, I think good evidence of where we have helped the pre-tribbers, even though they haven't come to our side, we've helped them get rid of a lot of bad teaching and even heretical teaching. And, and I think a good exa uh, example of this is uh, this book right here, Proof of the Pre-Tribulation Rapture by Dennis Corll. Um, I've, tried to, I've tried to have a podcast with him on a different book where we agree, uh, but he, he didn't want to do it. I think somebody told him about me or something, but, uh, but he, he, he knows where I'm at, but uh, I, I still want to have him on. I, I've got a lot of respect for him. But th this book here, you could tell he's listened to our side um, to a certain extent. And he represented our side accurately. And he still presented pre-trib in, in the book. I, I've thought about doing a dismantling of it, but I, 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 I don't want to come across as hostile towards him because I do, I do. I like Brother Coral. I got a lot of respect for him. But uh, maybe one of these days I'll do something with it. But either way, you could tell um, he he was he he's fixed a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things that he's made sure um, that he even debunked on that that you hear preachers say. You know, Dennis Corll's a one gospel guy. You know, he's um, 
you know, he, so the, so the thing is, I feel like if pre-tribbers are preaching this type of pre-trib, at least they're not flaming heretics, you know? And, um, and so I, but I do think that our challenges on these things and where we've just displayed the foolishness and the stupidity of a lot of their things has helped them kind of regulate. And, and, and cause, and again, here's the thing too. So he doesn't go into any heresy in this book. However, it's a weak argument and easy to debunk. Mm. So the thing is, if you get people following this, they're not heretics, but then I think they're just that much closer to us. And that's why I platform guys too, like Brian Sharp and Tim Lushan, you know, their book wolves among lambs. I mean, I think that book is great. There's one chapter in there. I don't like, um, but if people, I, I feel like they're bringing people closer to us. You know, and I also feel like too, where they're still different, it's easy for us to debunk. And and I, I just don't want to see Baptists going down this Ruckmanite multiple gospel, you know, and I just, yeah, I, it really insults my, everyone's intelligence. When you say that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are two different things, like I said, it's just, and, and it doesn't, it insults a lot of pre-tribbers too. Right. And so, uh, I think these debates are helping people move away from some of those extreme things. And I think right. it's just getting them closer to us. So I think, I, well, I, I've seen conservative pre-trib proponents. Mm -hmm. I've seen them comment on some of these debates where the pre-tribulation rapture defender is of the Ruckmanite mm -hmm. hyper dispensationalist persuasion. And they will comment that this is not the kind of, approach i would take because <laughs> they're recognized i mean even matthew 24 you know these guys are arguing that endure to the end the same shall be saved you know that's in the future at a time where the gospel is by faith and works and so if you take the mark of the beast you can lose your salvation it's just all this stuff that should make any true bible believing independent fundamental mm. baptist cringe mm. and not want to go there but for a time going back years ago I remember you were engaging them uh, frequently. You already put all those arguments to bed, Pastor. But a lot of the, the go-to uh, teachers or, I guess, apologists of the preacher rapture were your Ruckmanite types, mm -hmm. like Andrew Sluter, Gene Kim. You know, these were the guys brought in to save the day, Sam Gipp. But now I think these debates, as you put it, they're helping people move away from, from using those, those arguments. But then what they're left with, is what, what you said, tell me if I reiterate it uh, accurately, a book like that, it's not heretical, but it's not strong. It's very easy to debunk. Mm, right. And that'll help bring people more to the pre-RAS side. Yes, yeah, and the thing is too, you know, you know, so people like Brother Coral, I mean, what's interesting too, if you read his books, if you listen to his sermons, he normally like just proves his position. He uses more Bible in his preaching than any old IV preacher you'll hear. Uh, he, he typically beats a dead horse in every subject. Cause you know, he's usually right, but he, he doesn't, he, he doesn't do it with this. It is, it, it's, it's really weak arguments, you know, but, but at the same time, you know, because I believe he's a, a good man and a saved man, he has some discipline with the scriptures. And so there's a certain extremes he won't go to these ruckmanites there's no limit 
to the insanity they'll go into and to the heresies and just weird stuff and all that. And so, you know, when people get caught up in that stuff, I think they're just gone at that point, yeah. you know? And, and so, you know, I, I, I do, I think I do, I think we've helped regulate some of these guys and I think that's good, you know? And, um, you know, and, uh, if I may mention somebody, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't mention them too often, but somebody who deserves credit, I like to give credit where credit's due. Uh, somebody who deserves credit for getting most IFB to dump the Rockman Heights was Pastor Anderson and how he uh, kind of just exposed Sam Gipp and a lot of that stuff. Um, because Sam Gipp was frequently preaching at a lot of conferences and things I used to go to and churches of people that I knew. And, uh, after that, uh, famous anti-Anderson meet, uh, conference that they had, everyone dumped them. E ev everyone dumped them and had, he, my Messiah, isn't that what yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And <laughs> if, if the thing is too, if it hadn't have been for him, like exposing that the way he did, Everybody would have just ignored it, not thought anything of it, and just, hey, he's defending pre-trib. Because the IFB doesn't challenge each other on anything. Right. They don't challenge each other when, when they say dumb stuff. And so I, I do. I think he deserves credit for getting the Ruckmanites out of the old IFB and, and also for uh, keeping Born that way from infiltrating <laughs> <laughs> the Baptist world. So it's like, I, I, I always tell people he deserves, he deserves credit for that because that was making its way in. And then he just like stopped it. <laughs> I remember that too. <laughs> yeah. That, so yeah, let, let, let's give credit. Let's give credit where credit's due. Yeah. But, but yeah, well, Hey, I, I appreciate uh, you coming on the program and uh, it was definitely an interesting conversation. I think everybody was enjoying it. We had a good uh, live audience through the whole thing. But uh, yeah, make sure everyone watching, I've got the link in the description for his channel. Make sure you go uh, go check that out, subscribe, and uh, watch some of those on there. Do you have any final words uh, for everyone? No, I'm glad uh, everybody enjoyed, hopefully. And uh, it was a privilege to be on your podcast, uh, Pastor. I appreciate all the work that you do and have done. And I look forward to having you on as well. Or yep. hopefully some more uh, debates and i have some ideas in terms of uh videos i'd like to uh, respond to with you okay. so that should be fun we're i'm looking forward to a good eventful and debate filled 2024 and so I, for those who <laughs> want to enjoy those go uh, over to standing for truth make sure to hit that subscribe button and also hit subscribe button here uh pastor this is a great podcast you're putting out so debate you having me on. debate filled 20 24. That sounds like full of debate. Yeah, that, that <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> 2024 will be consumed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And how can people get a hold of your books? Oh, uh, the, they are on Amazon. Okay. The easiest way, though, where I've compiled them all into one place, if they go to my official website, standingfortruthministries.com, the homepage, I have uh, the three main books I've written special creation that just goes into all the evidence, the scientific evidence for a literal Adam and Eve and young earth creation End times revealed. That's my book on uh, end times theology. And then also another book uh, titled the endogenous retrovirus handbook. So they'll be able to see those right on the main page and the link will take them right to Amazon. Awesome. 
Well, all right. Well, hey, everyone, I appreciate all of you that joined us. I hope you enjoyed this. And so we uh, be ready next week. I should have some good content. Pray that the, the one fellow doesn't back out. It's going to be a it's going to be a great podcast. I'm going to be showing some Jack Van Impey stuff. We're going to find out what happened to the previous generation uh, on, on that program. And then next Friday, Lord willing to planning a live stream. Uh, another live uh, episode with Brother Paul Wittenberger and giving some updates about the new documentary coming out. So I hope you all will uh, be ready. Join us for all those. And so we will see you all next time. God bless. God bless.